The so-called debt ceiling is approaching, with the U.S. government technically hitting its borrowing limit last Thursday. As the countdown begins to an actual default, right-wing politicians are using the situation as leverage and demanding huge cuts to some of the most essential social programs, including Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid. Will these crucial safety net programs survive? We need a new system. We need a new society. We need to demand that which may have sounded impossible even a few weeks ago, but is not only realizable, but an imperative necessity. very excited to have Professor Richard Wolf join us for a regular weekly segment where we discuss the biggest stories relating to the economy, the state of the working class, and the crimes of big business. I'm Walter Smolarik, filling in for Brian Becker. The Socialist Program brings you content three days a week thanks to the support of our patrons at patreon.com slash the socialist program. We appreciate all of your support and encourage you to become a patron today if you enjoy listening to the show. Richard Wolff is the co-founder of the organization Democracy at Work and the author of many books, the latest being The Sickness is the System, When Capitalism Fails to Save Us from Pandemics or Itself. Check out all of his work at rdwolf.com. Well, Professor Wolff, let me just start off by asking you this. What is the debt ceiling? What is this phenomenon that we're talking about in the first place? Well, it's a minor ritual of the United States Congress and presidency been around for quite a while. And here's basically what it is. A government has to raise money in order to spend money. The United States government has been called upon by its people over its entire history to spend all kinds of money, to spend money to maintain a military apparatus, spend money to maintain foreign embassies, that is, U.S. embassies in uh, every other country on the face of this earth, spend money to build roads, spend money to educate our young people, and so on. In order for the government to spend that money, it has to get the money, raise it. And there are basically two ways to do that. One way the government has had is by taxing businesses and individuals. A second way is not to tax them, but instead to borrow the money from individuals and from businesses. There is a third way, which is for the government to print money and thereby have it to spend. This last one has been basically outlawed. The government cannot directly print money and spend it. And the reason for that is the history, that when governments have had the ability, as they did in the Middle Ages, in feudalism, and even up to the modern time, when governments can simply print money, 
they have been tempted to do so and to spend money that they weren't able to raise in taxes because the people didn't want to pay them, and they weren't able to borrow because the people didn't believe they were trustworthy to lend to. And so they resorted to printing money, and then they printed more and more, and the whole system kind of spun out of control. So you exclude that, and the government has to either tax or to borrow to raise the money. Okay, taxing is extremely good for the government, but hated by the larger society. Why is it good for the government? Well, it simply comes in and tells you, you must pay, and that's the end of the story. You pay, or else you go to jail. You pay, the government gets the money, and now they can go and spend it. It's much less attractive for the government to borrow the money for obvious reasons. Number one, they have to pay it back. And number two, they have to pay interest over the period of time they hold the money before they pay it back. In other words, the government enters into all kinds of unwanted obligations if it raises money by borrowing. But it will do so if the political cost to the government of taxing people is simply too great. Well, we have had in the United States over our history, many, many things we've called tax revolts or tax rebellions. When one or another business or people, individuals have gotten to the point where they can't stand paying any more taxes, they're bitter about it, they resent it, they refuse, and then they take steps to threaten the politicians who pass the laws that tax them. At the very least, they say to those politicians, if you tax me one dollar more, I will vote against you in the next election, and you won't be in a position to tax. And the next guy who replaces you will see the writing on the wall and won't dare tax me either. If it's a business, the same argument. If it's a rich person, the same argument with this slight difference. They're aware that what they have to influence politicians isn't so much the vote. There's millions of us that do that, but it's the money. They can donate to a candidate or a political party, or they can withhold the donations. Nowadays, politics is mostly about buying expensive advertising, and so it's a big question of money. And the rich and the corporations have enormous influence over politicians, basically by saying, if you tax us, we'll get you out of your job. Not by voting against you, we don't have that many votes, but by not giving you the money, you need to get everybody else's vote and you'll be out of there. So what politicians have done more and more in recent decades, and particularly in these last few years, they're afraid the congressmen and women House of Representatives, Senate, President, they're afraid to tax the masses because they'll vote against them. And they're afraid to tax corporations and the rich because they won't get the money they need to stay in power. So what have they done? They've borrowed the money. Record amounts of borrowing now in the trillions of dollars. 
to give you an idea of the sense of it, in the last few years, when the government has had to do things, it has more and more resorted to borrowing. And now let me stress, because everyone needs to understand it, that borrowing is a wonderful thing for corporations and the rich. By threatening to withhold their money from the politicians, they get the politicians not to dare to tax corporations and the rich, since they also dare not put all the tax burden on the mass of people, they then have to go and borrow the money. But of course, who do they borrow from? Not from the average people, not from the mass of people, because they don't have the extra money to lend to the government. The lending to the government is done by rich people and by corporations. They're happy to do so because the way they see it, they've avoided a tax, in which case they would have lost that money. And instead, they've gotten the nice substitution. They lend the money to the government. The government not only has to pay it all back to them, but has to pay interest between now and the date when they repay the money. So if the corporations and the rich are happier with debts, if the politicians are happier with debts, you should not be surprised that we have been going to town, paying the money to the government it needs to run with debts. We are more in debt now as a government than we have ever been in our society. Our debt has grown in the last 5, 10, 15 years more than it grew throughout most of the history of this country before that. We are a debt-laden, debt-dependent government. Over the same period of time, for related reasons, our corporations and our households have gone into record debt. Households go into debt because their wages are no longer enough to live from, let alone get the famous American dream. So they're borrowed up to the neck. They're borrowed to buy a home. That's the mortgage debt. They're borrowed to buy a car. They're borrowed on their credit card. And in the last 20 years, we've added the monstrosity of borrowing in order to let our young people go to college. So the households are drowning in debt. Guess what? Corporations are also with record private debts. Here, the reasoning is slightly different. Because of the enormous problems of American capitalism, the three crashes we've had in this century, the dot-com crisis of 2000, the Great Recession of 2008 and 9, and then the latest one associated with the COVID-19 pandemic, our economy really took a dive and corporations were in terrible trouble. So the government, to help them, the Federal Reserve, our central bank, brought down the cost of money to interest rates very close to zero, sometimes at zero, sometimes even negative. And so every corporation in America, for most of the last 20 years, no matter what problem it had, the quickest, easiest, and cheapest way to solve the business problem was to go get all that money that the government, the Federal Reserve, was willing to lend to you at virtually no 
interest cost. So they all borrowed up the hilt. And so we're living right now in an economy where the following sentence is more true than ever. We are debt dependent. Our entire economy sits on a mountain of debt, and nobody knows when the next crash comes, and they happen regularly to our economy, how this mountain of debt will make that crash worse than anything we have seen before. If you pay attention, you know that. So guess what was done? A cap was put on further government borrowing. All the politicians could bring themselves to do in the face of this looming catastrophe was to create, pass a law signed by the president, which limits the amount of borrowing the government can do. So what happens is on Thursday of this last week, the government hit what's called the debt ceiling. In other words, it hit that level of debt where the law says you can't borrow anymore. Now, we've done that many times in the past. And what everybody does when that happens is shout and yell and scream and say the same things to one another they do each time. And then in the 11th hour, they, the Republicans and Democrats and the president reach an agreement which mostly involves, here we go, raising the debt ceiling. In other words, passing a law which allows more borrowing, sets a ceiling of another trillion bucks, and then a year or now when we hit that, we will go through this same political theater again. Well, thank you for laying out that framework, Professor Wolf, of how debt functions in modern day capitalism, particularly modern day U.S. capitalism. Let's dig into that political theater a little bit more, because, you know, particularly the demand that's being raised right now is to cut the core social safety net programs, Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security. These have been big targets of the right wing for many, many, many years. And some of those right wingers are members of the Democratic Party, too. And as part of the agreement made between now Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy, and the most ultra right wing members of the Republican Party caucus in Congress was essentially language that inevitably will lead to a showdown over the debt ceiling, demands that the federal budget be balanced at a certain point in time, which could only happen if there are massive cuts. So this, as you've said, has happened before, really since the beginning of the Tea Party wave in 2010. But, you know, the danger, I think, is real because this is such a longstanding goal of corporate America. Could you talk about that a little bit? I mean, what about these three programs in particular are so important? Well, yes, the right wing corporate America has been interested not 100%, but in the main, in reducing those programs. Even if they think those programs are useful, that's never really been the issue. The issue is they don't want to pay for them. If you could make the mass of people pay for Social Security, the corporate sector would probably support it. It's not the program. It's not whether the program is useful or not. It's not a question of human justice. Every other industrial society has a comprehensive public health insurance program in effect. We're the only one that doesn't. Every one of those countries is less equipped to afford it. 
and does it. We are more equipped to afford it and don't do it. That's just the power of corporations who don't want to pay for it. And this debt ceiling gives them a chance to make the arguments all over again and maybe hope that people who have forgotten or don't pay attention will be listening this time, even though they haven't much listened in the past. So their argument is simple. To avoid um, going over that debt ceiling or to reach an agreement to move the debt ceiling up, but to a limited amount, we can do it to a limited amount if we cut back government spending. And that's true. That's simply arithmetic. If you cut back government spending, you don't have to borrow as much money as if you don't cut government spending. But notice what's not spoken by the right wing that pushes for this. Number one, you can cut spending on a lot of other things. Let me give you the most dramatic example. You've decided, you people in Congress, to give to the government of Ukraine excess of $100 billion. If you had given them 70 or 50 or 30, which is as much or more money than we have ever given a country fighting a war like this, then we wouldn't be in the problem because the government wouldn't have had to borrow the money it allocated to Ukraine. I'll have to give you another example. Our government has maintains three or four or five or six or whatever it is these days, 100 military bases around the world. No other country does that. That's very expensive. If you reduce the number of foreign military bases, you'd save a ton of money and then you wouldn't have to borrow. So what the right wing does is make a line which doesn't exist. They invent one that goes from the objective of not going further into debt and go immediately to the programs they want to cut. Wow, what a remarkable move. And here's the other way that they keep things invisible. They don't talk about raising taxes. They refuse to talk about that. And we know why the Republicans do it. They're the party of not taxing. That's how they collect the votes of corporations and the rich who then can evade taxes because their situation is protected by this GOP and a whole bunch of Democrats who do it too. And so we we don't talk even anymore about raising taxes. But mathematically and economically, there's no reason for that. We could talk. And I was struck that over the last two days, Senator Manchin from West Virginia, hardly a progressive, came up with a plan that could help solve this problem by taxing rich people people who earn over $400,000 a year would now be made subject on the amount over 400,000 that they earn, they'd be subject to social security withholding like the rest of us are. They are exempt from it now. We exempt, in case you're not clear on it, anyone listening, we exempt rich people from the social security tax we only tax people whose income is $160,000 or less. They get taxed Social Security. If you make more than $160,000, all that you make above one hundred and sixty 
is exempt from the Social Security tax. And very conservative Senator Manchin says, well, why don't we make those rich people pay the Social Security tax? You know, he gets his money in other ways. He gets his money from coal mines and he gets his money from the wealth he has in stocks and bonds. Notice he's not suggesting taxing that. He's suggesting taxing people with high incomes. I mean, it's a game. This is all theater. And so it happens over and over again. And in the end, there'll be a deal cut. The ceiling will be raised, not as much as some people want who have interests in expanding government services, and not as much cut back as people who want only to save corporations and the rich from taxes and who are aware that rapidly increasing the debt in a country already swimming and dependent on debt is a good idea. Yeah, you know, let me just ask you about social programs in general in the United States. I mean, when the the coronavirus pandemic hit, there was a major expansion in social programs in the United States. I mean, it was done on an emergency and temporary basis. But I mean, if you just think back at what happened, it was quite extensive. I mean, there was a freeze on foreclosures. There's a moratorium on foreclosures. There were rental assistance programs created at the federal level and by many state and municipal authorities as well. There was a freeze on the repayment of student loan debts. I mean, there were direct cash payments to everybody who filed income taxes. So, you know, there is this this expansion of social programs and they were very popular. One other thing I should mention is the child income tax credit, where there were, you know, essentially monthly payments to working class parents per child. So all of that has expired. It's been taken away. It's been ended, eliminated. And now we're kind of right back to where we were for years and years and years, decades and decades, where it's actually the conversation that the politicians want to have is about cutting social programs, whether or not to cut social programs, let alone expand them. I found that whole process quite surprising because of how popular these new coronavirus era, you could say, programs are, that the pressure wasn't such on the politicians that they had to keep at least a little bit of it, but they've been quite remarkable at eliminating nearly everything. Yeah, it's the power of the ideology that that rules the United States. That is the ideology articulated by all of our political leaders with very, very few exceptions, endlessly coming out of the mass media that the same folks own. Those are big businesses in America, the, the mass media. What's taught in the university, I've been a professor all my life. I know exactly what's taught in economics. And what's taught is that this is a wonderful system that should not have any of those social programs. You know, in France, which I know about because my family is partly French, In France, the government has given subsidies, direct payments to parents for their children for the last half century. It wouldn't dawn on anyone to take it away. Any politician who dared even to say it would be out of office in the blink of an eye. Left-wingers and right-wingers support it before, during, and after the pandemic. But there's a reason for that. In France, there's a powerful, well-organized political left. They have strong, active labor unions. They have socialist, communist, anti-capitalist political parties that work together with the unions. They can't do it. If they try to do 
what we in America accept, you'd be seeing what in fact you have seen, if your media that you look at showed it to you, that over the last three or four days, there have been millions of French people in the streets, stopping all public transportation, closing the country down, 400 cities with demonstrations, making it impossible to miss the message. And why? Because the Socialist Party, the Communist Party and the trade unions have said the government's plan, which is to extend the age at which you qualify for a pension, the equivalent of Social Security. They want to raise it from what it is now, 62 years of age. They want to make it that you have to wait until you're 64. By the way, we wait longer than that in this country. But they won't let the government go from 62 to 64. And they get the people in the street. And that's why these things don't happen in that country. And it's true in many European countries. There's no movement here. Where are the demonstrations happening here to stop all of this? Where is the call from the labor movement, from the social movements to mass together and say, we want the kind of support we got during the pandemic all the time. And we know exactly how we want it to be paid for by taxes on corporations and the rich. You know, President Trump pushed through when he controlled the Congress one of the biggest tax cuts in American history, favoring mostly corporations and the rich, was passed in December of 2017. It would be easy to provide the American people with a good bit of what you just referred to, the supports they got at a time of extreme need when the government and the big businesses were afraid if they didn't help the mass of people, the mass of people would turn against them. This was done for their self-defense. In any case, if you reinstated the taxes that Trump cut, if Mr. Biden, who implied he might do that when he was running for president, carried through, which he has not done, well, then we could do all of those things. They're well within reach. It is a purely political question whether the employer class in the United States can get away with providing way poorer services than you have in most other rich countries just in order to avoid paying taxes. It's an amazing spectacle, and the rest of the world watches in a kind of disbelief. And as we deal with this problem by accumulating more and more debt, the rest of the world is looking on and thinking to itself, the empire of the United States is now in decline. These theatrics, even though they are repetitions of the past, are now dealing with humongous sums. And the past has accumulated, so we are already debt-ridden. It is dangerous if a borrower is at the edge and continues to borrow like there's no going out of style. And the United States' economy depends on the rest of the world, and the rest of the world is looking more and more askance at what is happening here. And that, too, adds a certain pressure this time around. Well, thank you, Professor Wolf. That's all the time we have today. 
You've been listening to The Socialist Program. We bring you content three days a week. Thanks to the support of our patrons at patreon.com slash the socialist program. We appreciate all of your support and encourage you to become a patron today if you enjoy listening to the show. We've been joined by Professor Richard Wolf. He is the co-founder of the organization Democracy at Work and the author of many books, the latest being The Sickness is the System When Capitalism Fails to Save Us from Pandemics or Itself. Check out his work at rdwolf.com. You've been listening to The Socialist Program with Brian Becker, where we bring you news and views about the world for those who want to change it. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And watch video episodes of our in-depth show, The Real Story, every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on YouTube with our partner, Breakthrough News. We can only continue our work bringing you high-quality news, analysis, and history with the support of our listeners. Connect with us and become a patron at patreon.com slash the socialist program and receive an invitation to participate in an exclusive monthly seminar with Brian Becker. Thank you.